Well, good morning, Lakeside Church. Good to see you. Hey, it's good to be back. I've been gone for a couple of weeks. Uh, Good to see you in the family room. Can't see you, but family room, love that you're with us. Did you guys know that we have a group here on our campus in the other building meeting, and they're called the Family Room, and they're amazing. We love that. But it's good to be back. I was gone for a couple weeks because before school started, we had to go visit Grandma. You know how that is, you know? Had to go up and take the whole family. And whenever we go visit my mom, we, we get in the house. And, of course, Grandma's got to have all those pictures all over the place, right? Those pictures of you from the past. And my kids are going, did you really look like that, Dad? Are you kidding me? And I'm like, yeah, look at That's what I look like. And my wife comes up to me at one point, And she has her phone in her hand. And she's just looking at me. She goes, I have plenty of material for Throwback Thursdays on Facebook now. And, uh, and maybe you're a friend of mine, and so maybe you saw this picture that she put up on Facebook that she snapped of one of the collages that my mom has hanging in the hallway, evidence that I went to high school in the 80s, the sun and in the hair and all that, you know. But I, I, I felt like, you know, I, I can't be alone up here, and so I brought some friends with me. Here's a couple of the staff members, uh, Carl Rettinger and Steve Wright right here. Steve Wright without the beard. You can see his face. You can see that he actually graduated from high school. It's a good thing. (laughs) Very important. But then, you know, I thought, hey, let's get this young couple around us. And and so I got this picture of this young couple, and I recognize the gal, but I don't really recognize the guy. Now, that's Karis. She must have been dating somebody different because he's got a big afro, you know? I, I thought it would be great. Don't you think it would be great if Josh grew his hair out? Wouldn't that be cool? All right? Send him Facebook messages, emails. Let's get this going. Raise money or something. I don't know. I think it would be really cool. Um, but let's go back to the 80s. We have our, uh, another inReach director, Lisa Tudor. All right? She's got the Molly Ringwald 16 Candles thing going on there a little bit. But what if we went back to the 70s? There is somebody among us, you know, and a little bit older. So there you go, Pastor Brad Franklin. Didn't know he had hair. <laughs> Looks like Startsky from Startsky and Hutch, you know. That's a pretty good picture. I think Donna did good, you know. She's still sticking with it, too. It's amazing. It's great. But pictures are great, right? And, and you have photo albums, and, and pictures are great. They, they make us smile. They make us laugh. I love, I love looking at old pictures. Sometimes pictures can also make us think. In 1989, this picture was snapped, Tiananmen Square in China, the student uh, demonstrations and uprisings. You might remember that picture. Sometimes, if you've, if you've been on social media this week, there, there's pictures that, that make us angry. Sometimes pictures make us angry. Like this picture, this 10-year-old girl who's been separated from her father, has no idea where he's at, and she's on this flight escaping out of Iraq. Sometimes pictures just make us angry because some things just shouldn't happen. And if you've been on social media at all this week, then you know sometimes pictures just make us sad. Sometimes pictures make us sad. Pictures are powerful, aren't they? Pictures are powerful because Pictures aren't just this static moment in time. Pictures actually tell stories. And stories are transformational. Stories make us think. 
Stories can change things. And you have pictures in your life. You have stories in your life. In fact, if I were to sit down with you and we were to open one of your old albums and I pointed to a picture, you could probably tell me the story that surrounded that picture. Kind of like these two old pictures out of one of my old photo albums. This is a picture of Hume Lake. And, and that cabin right there is where, as a college student, in the wee hours of the morning, I was laying on a bunk. And I invited Jesus into my life. 1988 is an amazing time for me. Pictures are powerful because they, they tell these life-changing stories. And you know, the scriptures give us a life-changing story. There's this story that the, that the Bible gives us. And sometimes the story is referred to as the gospel or, or the good news. And, and the gospel is simply this. The gospel says that God so passionately loves every human being that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me. And that he rose from the dead. And now Jesus is Lord. And he stands with his arms open wide. And he says, anybody by faith can come to me. And all he asks is that we just simply come to him empty-handed and say, I will trust in you. In a nutshell, the gospel is a story of God's love, of transformed lives, and of a powerful future. But the Bible gives us a picture. It gives us a photo, a moment in time to tell the story. And one of the beautiful pictures that God, that God gives us, that the scriptures give us to tell this story is baptism. Baptism. It's a picture of a larger story of something that has gone on for thousands of years. It's the story of God's love for all of us, this gospel story. But it's also a personal story. It's a story of somebody that has had their life transformed by God and has identified with him by going into the waters of baptism. And just as Jesus died on the cross, they go down into the water. And they're cleansed from their sins, not because there's magic in the water. The picture isn't what changes lives. It's the gospel. It's the power of God that changes lives. But they've decided to tell this story. And so they come up out of the water just as Jesus was raised from the dead. And now there is a powerful future for them. They believe that God has a purpose for their life. Baptism is incredibly important to us here at Lakeside Church because it tells the life-changing story of the gospel and it tells your story as well. And so, you know, if you've been to a Lakeside Baptism, you know how we treat them, right? I mean, we're not, we're not all somber and, and quiet and, okay, let's be really methodical about this. We party at Lakeside. If you've been to one of our baptisms out at the lake or we just had one here on the stage, there's music and there's food and there's relatives and we're cheering and we're hollering and sometimes we're crying and we're hugging as people walk into that water and they tell the story of God's love of a transformed life, and of a powerful future. But at the same time, even though it's a celebration, even though we party, we take every single baptism incredibly seriously. Because we know that that person that's been baptized is telling the story, and they're telling their story as well. And so my question for you this morning, for some of you, is will you follow the Lord 
in baptism? Will you follow Jesus in baptism and tell the story to others about what God has done for you? You see, the cross is God telling the world that he loves each and every one of us. Baptism is how you tell the story of the time that you said yes. And so will you follow the Lord in baptism? That question is for some of you here this morning. We want to encourage you. We're going to have a baptism on September 28th. And we have some people in the lobby this morning, right in the information area, that would love to answer questions, that would love to take you through what our process is. If God is, is, is nudging you, if he's working in your, heart, in your heart, we want you to pray about that. We want you to think about that. I have a question for others of you, though, as well. I have another question this morning. Because, you see, it's, it's difficult to tell the stories of our lives without talking about the characters in our lives as well, right? When I talk about the story of Hume Lake and that cabin and how, how I was a college student and I came to Christ, I can't tell that story fully unless I tell you about some of the characters in that story. Characters like the Joneses, this, this retired couple. This retired couple, these empty nesters that could have ridden off into the sunset and said, we worked hard all our lives, and now we're just going to get out of here, and we're going to do whatever, whatever we want. And instead, what they do is they decide to invest in the lives of college students. And so I met the Joneses when I showed up one day, this college ministry at this church that I was invited to. And it was the Joneses, I didn't realize this at the time, but it was the Joneses who paid my way to go to that retreat that changed my life. They're a part of my story. Characters in my story. I'd have to tell you about Todd and John because Todd and John were two college students. And when I came to Jesus, I didn't have a lot of uh, community and friends. God was, was doing something in, in my life, but I was a little bit lonely. And one day I just showed up at Todd's house and I knocked on the door and these two guys were living together. And, and they're like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I said, I don't know. I just showed up. What do you want to do? You want to hang out? And they just invited me into their community. And God gave me new friendships. Changed my life. It's hard for me to tell the story unless I tell you about my older brother. I've, some of you know my story about how my brother Adam, he led me to Jesus. And he didn't judge me. He didn't, you know, he answered questions. He didn't try to manipulate me. He was just there for me to show the love and grace of God and along the way to be patient with me. And he led me to Christ. And you have characters in your story too, right? You have people in your life, those 8 to 15 people that God has sovereignly placed you in life with. For some of you, a little more introverted like me, maybe a little bit less, or extroverted, maybe a little bit more. But God's placed you in that oikos that, that we've been talking about for a while around Lakeside Church, that extended household. He has, there are characters in your story. And guess what? Your characters, now some of you are characters, because I know you, <laughs> but your characters in somebody else's story as well, right? And one of the things that we get to do in life, in our oikos, is we get to be people of influence. People of influence. We just had this, uh, this, um, this thing called the Global Leadership Summit here at Lakeside Church. All day Thursday, all day Friday. Comes once a year, every August. Some of you were here. And I love the Leadership Summit because you get so much out of it. And one of the things that they talk about, and one of the things that we believe at Lakeside Church is that every single person is a person of influence right where they are. And one of the things about leadership that is true is that one of the purest forms of leadership is that 
it's influence. Leaders influence. And we just believe that every single one of you is a leader right where you are, in the home, in the marketplace, on that peewee soccer team that you coach as those parents are watching you interact with their children. You are a leader, a person of influence here in the ministries of Lakeside Church, in the community, wherever you are, God calls us to lead. And so my question for for some of you this morning is, will you lead where you are? Will you do it? Will you be a person of influence wherever God has placed you? We're in this series right now at Lakeside Church. If you're just joining us, you've got to go back one week. Brad kicked us off last week in this new series called What Counts? And he talked about this rhythm of attendance at Lakeside Church. And what we're talking about are some of the most important things that we pay attention to, things that, that, that count, things that we actually keep track of. We count them because we believe that what gets counted gets done. And these are things that matter to us. But they don't, just, they don't just matter to us because we're not just trying to be the biggest church on the block. We're not trying to toot our own horn or, or, or pat ourselves on the back. We believe that these things should be important to us and that we should keep track of them because they matter to the heart of God. And they matter to the heart of God because when we pay attention to these things, it makes the world a better place. When we pay attention to these things, it will make our marriages stronger. Our parenting will be better. Our communities will be better. Our church will shine a brighter light out into the world. And so we pay attention because we want to be more strategic. We want to to have clearer vision. We want you to be here on the vision nights as God's been doing some stuff among us. We want to have that vision clear on that weekend that we're going to have a vision weekend because we believe that if we pay attention to this stuff that we're going to be more successful in this mission that God has called us to to transform as many people as possible into passionate and productive followers of Jesus. And so we count baptisms because they matter. We count leaders because it matters and will make our world a better place. And so kind of what I want to do this morning is just I I want to look into the scriptures and see a couple ancient stories to see, well, how could this work? How could we be spurred on, as Brad talked about last week, to kind of do this better and and be more intentional about this? And so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is in the New Testament of the Bible, and uh, this is, this is um, a time when the church was young, and it was growing, and it was exciting, but there were also challenges that they faced as well. And so in Acts chapter 6, it begins like this in verse 1. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so there's a vulnerable group in their society that's hurting. Verse 2, so the twelve, or the leaders of the church, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And we'll come back to that. What does that mean? Verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who were known to be full of the spirit. They are walking with Jesus and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. 
the passage says that this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Jerusalem. And so there's this outsider that becomes one of the leaders among them. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And here's the result in verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests. These are leaders in Judaism. Priests become obedient to the faith. They become followers of Jesus. And so there's several things going on here in this passage. The church is young, but it's growing rapidly. It was born a few chapters ago in Acts chapter 2. And literally thousands of people are deciding to follow Jesus. It's new and it's exciting. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 6, the church is massive. We don't know how big it was, but it was probably spread all throughout Jerusalem. One of my seminary professors believed that they were in the tens of thousands at this point. And so with rapid growth and with things that are happening, good things also come challenges, come difficulties. And one of the challenges that they had was in the area of compassion. Compassion has always been deeply a part of the heart of God. In fact, if you read through the scriptures in the Old Testament, this God of compassion speaks through the prophets to the people, and there's always this rhythm of compassion. There's this call to take care of the orphans and the widows and the strangers or aliens living among you, the poor and the powerless. There's always this call to take care of the most vulnerable people in the society. And we see Jesus doing that, right? Jesus is interacting with people that are on the fringes, the vulnerable, the weak. And he reaches out. He spends time. He heals. He provides. And that same rhythm is carried into the early church. This amazing, compassionate God says, you need to shine your light bright and love those who need it the most. And so this is a critical time in the life of the early church because what's going to happen to the message of Jesus? What's going to happen to this story of the gospel of God's love, transformed lives, a powerful future if the church can't even take care of the vulnerable among them? There was this huge issue of taking care of people. And so you have these two different groups of widows. You have the Hellenistic widows or the Greek widows, the ones that were of Greek culture. Uh, Hundreds of years before, the Jews had been dispersed all throughout the Roman Empire. Some stayed in Jerusalem, but many of them went out. And generation after generation, they had picked up, and essentially they were of Greek culture now. And then you had sort of the homegrown ones in Jerusalem, and they were of the Hebrew culture. So there is a clash of cultures going on here, and one whole group from one particular culture is getting left out. And this is a serious issue. So there's economic issues, there's cultural issues, there's compassion issues, but really the, at the heart of it, this is a leadership issue. And so what do we see the disciples doing here? One of the things that right off the bat that we see them doing is they decide to take the radical step. These 12, these 12 apostles, the ones that were were leading, minus Judas, but he had been replaced. 
they decide to multiply their leadership. I mean, they, they, they could have just said, no, this is all ours, and we're going to keep all the leadership for ourselves, and we need to do everything. And, you know, they, they said, hey, we don't have time to wait on these tables because God's calling us to this. And so they had to know what they were called for. And what they meant by waiting on tables is it's, the job's gotten too big because they were serving people. If you look back a couple chapters, a couple different times, it talks about how people would sell their land. They would bring the money to the disciples and they would be in charge of distributing the money to anybody that had need. And it said no one had need. Everybody had everything that they needed. But it had grown. And with growth comes problems. And this is a leadership issue and they've got to do something radical. So they decide to actually multiply their leadership. Leadership is crucial to the movement of God. Leadership is crucial to making our world a better place. And that's one of the reasons why we pay attention to it at Lakeside Church. One of my favorite speakers at the summit this year was Carly Fiorona. And one of the things that she said, she said that leadership changes the order of things and unlocks potential. It changes the order of things and it unlocks potential. The disciples here, they change the order of things. What that means is leadership just doesn't go with the status quo. Oh, we've always done it this way, and well, sorry, you know, your widows are hurting, but there's not a lot we can do because we're going to keep all the power to ourselves, and we're just going to do it this way. But instead, they do something radical. They multiply, and they actually give away authority. They lay their hands on these emerging leaders, and they say, for things to go forward, you guys have to go forward. So on Vision Weekend, we're going to talk about some of the ways we believe that God is pressing us to move forward. We don't want to just do the status quo around Lakeside Church. We want to imagine new ways of doing things. How can we be more effective and sharper in our mission, more strategic? Leaders change the order of things. Leaders also unlock potential. In fact, what she said was leadership's highest calling is to unlock potential. And so they call these emerging leaders, one of them was named Stephen, another, uh, his name was Philip, and we hear some of their story in the scripture. We're going to see a little bit more of Philip in a minute. But these are emerging leaders, and they need the opportunity to go out and take big responsibility. And they say, okay, you guys need to take care of this. And when they do, the church grows. And in fact, leaders from Judaism come to Jesus. It's an amazing thing. Leadership just matters. Several months ago, uh, actually it was, it was all the way back in January, some of you might remember this initiative that we went through called Next 10. You remember the Next 10? Some of you guys are faithfully giving to the Next 10. You remember that? Um, it was a great time. I was so encouraged. And to watch this movement of generosity. I mean, we talk about giving ourselves to others, but that's really, really where kind of the rubber hits the road, right? I mean, we, it hurts sometimes to do this. And I am just, have been so amazed and so blessed by the generosity of Lakeside Church. And we talked about these three buckets that we're trying to fill up this movement to erase all debt and to be free from that and to be able to put resources towards more ministry. And then this bucket of, of, of being generous throughout with our mission partners throughout the world and locally and be able to, being able to build some stuff and do some things. And then there's this third bucket. Do you remember what the third bucket was? Protege, right? 
This young leader's initiative to be able to raise up young men and women that feel this call in their life from God to go into full-time vocational ministry. And we just believe that God has called us to train the next leaders of the local church. And so we've been generous with that. But, but leaders also have to define reality. It's one of the things that we have to do. And so just being real with you, there's only one bucket out of the three where the pledges didn't reach all the way to the top. That's the protege bucket. Now, I'm not saying we haven't been generous. It's been amazing, and I'm so thankful. And we actually already have one protege. It was Jameson. He was playing drums. You guys know Jameson, and he's heading into full-time ministry, and we've watched him grow over the years. He was one of our high school students. And it's been amazing to see a transformation in his life and the call of God into ministry. And Lord willing... This fall, we'll have about four or five protégés, and we'll be telling their stories because God is doing some neat things. But I would just love, I would just be overjoyed, all of us would, if we could see that protégé bucket, the pledges fill all the way up. That would just be amazing because we simply believe that leadership matters to the heart of God. Young leaders, older leaders, again, wherever you're at, Leading where you're out, where you are, being a person of influence. One of the things that Jesus said as he was walking down this, the, the seashore, he saw these young people out there fishing, and he said, Will you follow me? Follow me. Follow me on, I'll make you fishers of human beings. I will help you, or you will, you will join my cause to change the world. And in the meantime, your life will be transformed as well. So that's a question for all of us. Will we follow? Will we follow the Lord in baptism? But will we follow his leadership to change the order of things and unlock potential, just as the early church was doing? Now, if you have your Bible, turn over a couple chapters to, to Acts chapter 8 because we get to look at this sort of this personal encounter, this interaction that one of these emerging leaders has. Philip, in particular, he goes off and he starts to spread the good news, the gospel, this story that changes lives throughout the world. And he actually goes to this place called Samaria. And, and you know, that, that was a pretty forbidden thing to do at one point in time. We remember when Jesus sat down with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and he has this conversation with a Samaritan woman. It was scandalous. He didn't talk to the Samaritans. They were outsiders. But through the gospel, God's making outsiders insiders. And people are coming to Jesus and they're probably baptizing people left and right. And then God speaks to Philip. And if you look down in verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, which by the way was a long, dirty, and dangerous road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what was going to happen. Okay, Lord, I'm going to walk in obedience, and there's this faith thing that i got to work out in my life. Okay, here I go. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and was on his way home, was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And so he's reading the scriptures. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stand near it. 
And so here's a guy. Here's a guy who is spiritually hungry. And he's traveled a long way to go worship. I mean, at a time when travel was difficult. And and he's going to worship at this mysterious place, this special place, this place where heaven and earth seem to, in this mysterious way, overlap. He's going to worship at the temple. But when he got there, he wouldn't have been able to go in because of his race and also because of his predicament in life, what had been done to him physically another outsider and so he's on his way home and he's reading the scriptures how did he feel what was going on was he frustrated was he angry was he disappointed he was still searching and he happens to be reading and if you read the rest of the story which i encourage you to do later on today read the rest of the story he's reading from isaiah chapter 53 isaiah 53 is this chapter in the bible that talks all about some theologians call it the suffering servant It's all about the Messiah, the anointed one in Greek, the Christ. It's all about Jesus. He's reading about Jesus who was despised and rejected. Jesus knew exactly what it felt like to be an outsider. And so Philip comes up to him. And actually, later on in the story, he invites Philip into the chariot, and he's reading, and Philip says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? What's going on here? And the guy says, I can't understand it unless somebody explains it to me. And so they reach this moment, this critical moment, this crucial moment, where Philip has a choice. And he makes the choice to have a meaningful conversation. You know, all of us at some point in our lives in our oikos, in our relationships, will reach a point and there'll be a moment where you have the opportunity to have a meaningful conversation with somebody. Not just about sports and not just about politics and not just about what's going on uh, with the kids or this or that or the other thing, but you're going to have that heart to heart. You're going to reach that moment and you're going to have a choice just like Philip and God's going to provide that for you because we see in this story that God was already working in this man's life. He had seeded the soil and at some point you're going to reach this moment where you have to have a meaningful conversation. This is what leaders do. This is what people of influence, characters in the story do for one another. A few weeks ago, I had a meaningful conversation with a man in my life, a person in my oikos. We had a two-hour coffee, and it was great because we sat and we talked. And usually, you know, we sort of picture this where the person's asking us questions and we sort of have all the answers, and, and that's not the way it went. For two hours, I asked questions. And the person would give an answer, and I would ask another question. And it was great because through that process, we began to grow closer. And this person hasn't crossed the line of faith yet. I'm praying and I'm hoping and I'm wondering, like, when is that moment going to happen? I'm confident that God has a hold of this person's heart. But it was great. And I think it opened the door for more meaningful conversations. And so I don't know about you. I don't know who are the people in your life, in your oikos, and when are those moments? Have you felt that sense of the Spirit kind of nagging at you to have a meaningful conversation? There's some young people among us that that they do this so well. You know, I I love hanging out with young people. I I did student ministries for 20 years. I love 
being with people that sometimes they're just unleashed and they don't care about what other people think sometimes. And they, just, they just go for it. They're kind of radical. And so there's these young people in our church that they decided to have some meaningful conversations and we captured their story on video. So I'd like you to watch this. My name is Zach Kahn and this is my story. One day, uh, junior year, I was sitting with my friend Joe. This, this, this crazy guy named Taylor Fode walked up to us, and he knew Joe. And he says, hey, Joe, are we still going to lunch today? Every Friday, a group of friends and I would go to Fresh Mike's, our favorite Mexican restaurant. And since it's so close to the school and it's really cheap, that's kind of where we went every Friday. And I invited Joe to come to Fresh Mike's with us, and he actually asked if Zach could come with just because they were hanging out at the time and I said you know I don't really know him but sure why not it was it was very surprising that that Taylor Fode invited me to come just just because I don't know that's that's just that was unheard of for me I guess I didn't I didn't think someone would want to be my friend you know that's, that sounds kind of like melodramatic to say almost but I never expected it ever to happen so Zach has been coming to Fresh Mix with us for a few months now, and he was really comfortable with our group. And so I asked Zach the question, you know, where are you spiritually? Like, did you believe in God? Because I always assumed myself that, that he already did. And that's when he told me that he was an atheist. They were, they were shocked. They didn't, they couldn't, because they, I don't, I think I remember them saying they don't remember ever meeting an atheist. And I didn't really know that they were Christian either. And so we all just ended up we spent like two hours there. We stayed like like an hour later than we usually do, uh, just talking about God and, and Christianity and Jesus. I really didn't want to make it seem like I was attacking him, so I told him, you know, if you don't want to talk about this, you don't have to. You know, I don't I don't like you any less. You know, you you believe in something, I believe in something. And, you know, we still love you. He asked me a lot of challenging questions that I didn't really know the answer to. So I actually asked him if he'd want to meet my friend Josh at Powerhouse. A couple weeks prior at youth group, we had been talking about um, sharing our faith. And so Taylor uh, had approached me actually for a couple weeks and told me about Zach and a couple guys at school that he had been uh, trying to share the Lord with and, and said, Josh, but you don't want me to bring them because they're atheists. And I was like, no, I want you to bring them. That's okay. That's awesome. So I started attending Powerhouse regularly every Wednesday night. Uh, and I was getting more comfortable, I was learning more, but I still had a lot of questions. And so afterwards, uh, Josh and I, or sometimes a group of us, we, we would just ask any questions that we had. My dad is not in the picture at all. Like, he left, uh, well, yeah, he left when I was about three. He was, he was a good dad. Um, and he, he has potential to be a good dad, but he, uh, he liked drugs, you know, uh, drugs kind of came first. Josh Levine and I's relationship started to, to kind of grow as I continued to go to Powerhouse. And, uh, one night I remember uh, learning about how he had lost his dad and he told me, um, God has a special place in his heart for the fatherless. That, oh, I just got like shivers just now, like it... It, it like, it just, it touched my heart. Like, it was like, wow, like, I didn't know that. So, senior year, 
when I finally accepted Jesus into my heart, um, I ended up being voted class clown. When I talked to people who like voted for me, they never noticed me. Like at any other point in time in high school or, or middle school, they, they noticed me that year. That speaks that speaks for, for Jesus right there, that he allowed my, my personality to be free and to, to grow the way it was meant to be. So over the year that I've been at Lakeside, I've, I've, been, I've been more involved and more active, and God's been active in me, and I understand what giving yourself to others means, because um, that's what Josh and the Taylors did to, to me. I think this story really all begins um, at that moment, um, sitting around at lunch, where Taylor Fode decides, this is hard and they might not agree with me, but Jesus is really important. Yeah, Jesus definitely had my back. I guess he gave me the words to, to say to not make Zach feel uncomfortable, you know, and kind of make him more curious about it. Knowing Jesus is my Lord and Savior, uh, my life is completely different. He, he paid the price on the cross to, to kind of redeem me, you know, like all those years ago, he did that. And knowing that, I've, I'm, I'm free and I'm happy and... I'm just different, like, in a good way, you know? Like, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it is awesome. Because some high school students were willing to invite somebody that seemed like an outsider to become an insider and have a conversation. And we got to watch here at Lakeside Church when Zach was baptized by Brad right here on stage. And now we're back to the beautiful picture that tells the beautiful story of God's love, transformed lives, and an amazing future. Who knows what God's going to do? And so the questions remain. These two important things that we count that we pay attention to here at Lakeside Church. Baptisms, will you cross that line and tell the story? Again, we have some people in the lobby who would love to talk to you about that. What's our process? What is it? How does it work? Tell me more about it. Love for you to be praying about that. September 28th, we're going to have that baptism. And then leadership as a person of influence. What is God calling you to do in your relationships. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thanks so much for your incredible compassion and your love for each one of us. It's amazing to me that you know us fully and you still love us. You don't just love us a little bit. It's overwhelming, sacrificial, holistic love. And so you never leave us where we're at, but you push us forward. God, you change our lives. And, and that process is exciting, but sometimes it's painful as, as you start to push us. And, and sometimes we call this the refiner's fire, where you, you kind of melt our life down and you begin to rebuild it in the shape that reflects your love in Jesus Christ. But we're thankful for that, God, this adventure that that we are on. And we know that in this adventure, you're faithful. Uh, God, you 
You do satisfy the desire of every living thing. You're, you hold out your hand and you give us our food at the proper time. Lord, you're never late. You provide all of our needs. And so we trust you along the way in this journey. And along the way, we know that, uh, Lord, you are at work, and so we can worship you. And God, that's what we want to do right now. We want to just respond to you in worship. And so we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.